the good news is that Jesus is overcoming the world. God is working it all out so that those who are willing to turn to him from sin can be set free from the power of Satan and the the curse of sin and the the penalty of death and judgment in hell forever. Mm. And he's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven that where he is, we may be also. Through faith in him, we enter into that victory, overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. But it's a daily struggle for us to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, to learn who Jesus is and how he can be trusted and what he's doing in our lives as we grow as disciples. Yeah. This is It's important to study the Bible, to spend time in prayer, to be in fellowship, and you really can learn a lot from other more mature Christians. So I'd encourage you, if, you, if you're a new believer that has not yet been discipled intentionally, you know, mentored by an older believer, seek out some wise Christian man, if you're a man or an older Christian woman. That's one of the ways that God gives you the wisdom to draw near to God. You stick around, we're going to get into how does sorrow lead to joy in Christ, and how does Jesus overcome the world? This is the Dwell on Truth show that you can find in any podcast player. If you can't listen for the whole hour, you can download it and past episodes at dwellontruth.org or any podcast player by looking for Dwell on Truth. Good morning or good afternoon, everyone. You're listening to the Dwell on Truth show. My name is Brenton Powers. And I'm Dan Bodwin. We are Open Air Campaigners, Northern California. You can get more information on us at oacnorcal.org. Daniel Bodwin, thank you for joining me again. I look forward to studying John chapter 16, part two with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm excited to continue the rest of John chapter 16 as we're, of course, kind of going through the last discussion of Jesus with his disciples before his journey to the cross, kind of the end of his his earthly ministry. And uh, wow, there's just so much truth that Jesus packs into each passage. It's amazing. I just love reading through it. And every time I read through it, I find something new. Yeah, It's one of the amazing things about God's word. It's, uh, it's never dry and it's never boring. If you sit down and you spend time with it, you will be taught something. Yeah. I'm learning something new. Recently, I've been diving into just how to tell a better story. Mm. There's a theologian that wrote a book on a hero's journey that uh, kind of discovered parallels between the story of Christ and other stories that people tell. And people have taken this model and based movies and television shows and, and mm-hmm. I, you know, as I, as I put together radio shows and newsletters, and we present the gospel to people in short story form, Mm -hmm. I'm seeing that there's certain keys to telling stories. And Jesus, in this passage, circles through the entire overall story of what he came to do. Jesus is the ultimate hero of the story. It's not about us. It's about him rescuing us from our sin. And the disciples had been following him for three years, and uh, now he's about to be taken from them, and they can't imagine life without being able to see him there. But he's preparing them for something greater than just walking around with Jesus in his body. He's going to go to heaven and send the Holy Spirit. Yes. Last week, we talked about how that would be more advantageous for them, and they can't see it. They can't see the big picture. And so in this passage we're going to study today, he's going to show them how the trajectory of the story will lead from sorrow to joy, from feeling overcome by the world to seeing how Jesus overcomes the world. That's the big picture. Yeah. And so you stick around. We're going to get into how does sorrow lead to joy in Christ, and how does Jesus overcome the world? So let's dive in and read uh, John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. Well, there's two paragraphs. So let's just read the first paragraph, and then the second half of the hour, uh, we'll circle back to kind of retelling the story, but through a different lens. 
in that second paragraph. Sound good? 16 to 24, correct? Yes. So verse by verse, I'll go ahead and start out. Verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow, because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Okay, so um, let me read my intro. I kind of wrote this out. While Jesus' last message is meant to lead and equip his disciples to see the big picture and endure suffering and lead to a victory and joy in the end, they were stuck and saddened and shocked They had gotten used to being with Jesus, and now he's leaving us? He warned them that the world would hate them. The world would rejoice when they will be sorrowful and weep. But in a turn of events, their sadness will turn into full joy. He spoke of the advantages of this departure. Mm. It means that he's going to heaven. There's hope. It means he'll be in a place of authority over the earth as we'll see in part two today, how Jesus overcomes the world. But both paragraphs, both parts of today's show and Jesus' teaching is meant to change their perspective Mm. from feeling disadvantaged to advantaged, from sorrow to joy, from thinking that all is lost to realizing all is gained, from feeling defeated by the world to believing the world is actually under Jesus' authority. Amen from just wanting to see Jesus staying with them and not to die, to learning why he came and how he's dying for them and returning to the Father, to receive more from Jesus through the Holy Spirit, learning to live by faith, not sight, learning to live in peace and joy and victory by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. As Jesus mentioned in this passage, like the joy of seeing human lives born we get to see lives born again. So Jesus had to labor, suffer, and sacrifice himself so that he may conquer death for us and invite us into his victory over the problems of Satan, sin, and death, overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. Yes, this message is the big picture, a reframing of the greatest story, the meta-narrative, and an invitation into his story as they would be able to give a first-hand eyewitness account of the things that Jesus accomplished. Hmm. But in the moment, they felt sadly defeated. How would God turn it around? We'll see in these verses. Indeed, we will. So do you want to go verse by verse through this, Dan? Uh, uh, Verse 16, 17, and 18. Yeah. So there's some lessons here about this great story as we study the story of the Bible. Yeah, I think that's a good chunk to start with. So a little while, you will see me no longer, and again a little while, and you will see me. So what did he mean by that? That, you know, I think would confuse a lot of people and certainly confused the disciples. They go on to say, what is this he's saying to us? A little while and you'll see me, and again a little while and you won't see me because I'm going to the Father. What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, those are great questions and great questions for us to ask as well when we read the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's not immediately clear what he means to them, but as you wait just a little while, it will become clear. 
Yes, yes, yes. I think the uh, the lesson for people who want to study the Bible and understand it is ask the question. He, he, Jesus knows that they want to ask, and so he answers before they actually ask. Yes. But some of the things they're going to have to learn to do is really pay attention to every word that Jesus says. We need to learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a a question we should sort of build into our Bible studies. Yes, it is. Whether it's a personal Bible study, you're reading through the Bible, or you're in a small group, or listening to a, a sermon on the radio, or in church, is to ask, what did Jesus say? Like the disciples, they said, what is this he says to us? Mm-hmm. So first, observe what the text says. It's it's not a mystery of reading between the lines. We need to first see what are the lines. And the second question is, what does Jesus mean? I don't know if you, anybody remembers those old bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Well, people have modified that and says it's a better question to ask, what did Jesus do? Indeed it is. WDJD. I think, Dan, you have a painting. You have that painted on your sketchboard sometimes. Can you tell us about that? I have done that before, although I st- I'll, I'll be honest, I stole that from Ray Comfort. That was something that he did. <laughs> and I think he actually had bracelets for that for a while. Yeah. But it's a good question because it talks about, about something bigger and more important yeah. about Jesus' ministry. Yeah. So I think it's also important to ask, what did Jesus say? W-D-J-S. And then yes. what did Jesus mean? W-D-J-M. I'm... I'm not making bracelets, but maybe somebody out there would like no. to make one and send me one. That would be awesome. But maybe put that in your notes, starting to read the Bible or finishing reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. By the way, um, Dan, I don't know if you heard, but Dave told me from the Flight 1080 show that he's going to be finishing mm-hmm. the Bible this month. Oh, wow. Yes. No, I did not know yes. that. And he wants to do a celebratory uh, radio show to announce that on the radio and just kind of look back at what he learned from that. Nice, nice. That would be great. So if you're like Dave and you've been reading the Bible and trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, these are some tools that you can have in your tool bag to rightly divide the word of truth. First, break it up into bite-sized pieces. What did Jesus actually say? And then pray, God, would you help me to understand what you meant? Because it doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean. Biblical interpretation, there are certain rules for biblical interpretation, but Mm -hmm. do ask those questions. What did Jesus say, and what does Jesus mean? And then seek his wisdom, and he will give it to you. Even a bigger concept than that, it's not even just a biblical interpretation idea. It's a, what is the original intent of the author, you know? And so, we can't just read our own wild meanings or what makes us feel good into it. You know, what is... What did God intend to communicate when he inspired this stuff? And and that is, you know, a big part of what Jesus is explaining to his disciples. There is a meaning and there's an intent behind this and there's a plan and a purpose and we're moving towards something. Yeah, these things Jesus says because he wants them to endure suffering. He wants to lead them to joy and he wants to lead them to victory. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with Bible study. Yes, Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord of hosts. His words, though it may seem like there's some bitter truths to swallow, mm. they become yeah. sweet in our stomach, and, a, and it leads to joy. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the Matthew 13, 10? Yeah, well, I, something that I noticed when I was reading this is, you know, Jesus was explaining to the disciples, um, but there was his understanding was was veiled, was was a bit covered to them. They couldn't quite understand. Um, and now it's it's as if Jesus is pulling that veil away so that they can see clearly what he's trying to communicate and what his plans are. And of course, that's what we want when we're reading God's word now, long after the time it was written, we want the same thing. We want that veil of understanding, of misunderstanding, of that blindness to be pulled away so we can see clearly what God is communicating. But the only way that we can truly grasp Jesus's and God's message um, is through 
the work of the Holy Spirit and through a right relationship with God. Um, we see this, we've seen this throughout um, the book of John, I believe, but what popped yeah. into my mind when I was going through this was Matthew 13. And uh, the disciples were talking to Jesus specifically about parables in, in this case, but the, the parables had a purpose behind them. Jesus spoke and communicated that way for a reason, and he gives us that reason. Then the disciples came and said to him, um, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For the, to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. This is you know, going back to what you said. What, what did Jesus say? He gives us explanations for what he does. Um, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear or understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has become dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. And that, of course, is from Isaiah chapter 6, one of my favorite passages. But yeah. it's really important if we want to have an understanding of God's word, a true understanding of God's word, that veil needs to be taken away. It needs to be through faith in Jesus Christ. It needs to be through the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, and it's Jesus Christ as the word of God who is the source of all truth. We have to go through him if we want to really understand what God is communicating. Yeah, and hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh, mm -hmm. As these disciples will come to a place where they are filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, and they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit in John chapter twenty, when Jesus has rose from the dead, he breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." He comes to dwell within them, but then Jesus says, "Wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is poured out upon you," and then they have an even greater power and uh, uh, to explain the, the full story. And still, Peter learns more and more about God's plan, not just for Israel, but for the Gentiles as well. Mm -hmm. And this mystery of the gospel begins to unfold and reveal through time mm -hmm. as they keep seeking the Lord in prayer and in, um, you know, this discipleship process in mm -hmm. their lives is is near to its end. Mm -hmm. Well, no, it's, it, actually, they're still growing, but their discipleship time with Jesus in the yes, flesh is Jesus. near to its end, and they're going to uh, graduate to another level of, <laughs> of understanding and uh, of, of ministry without Him bodily there, but with the Holy Spirit in, yes. their in their body. And of course, we'll see the historical events that were necessary for God's plan to be fully worked out, finally come to fruition, and we're getting right to the right to the edge of that. That's why he says, you know, the time has come, you know, time is here. Yeah. So, let's answer their question. What did Jesus mean by, in a little while, they'll see me no longer, and then in a little while, they'll see him again, and then in a little while, he'll go to the Father? Historically, yeah, yeah. what are those three points of time? Yeah, well, I mean, it's if we look at what happens directly after that, I think it's pretty clear. In that little while, he was right at the edge of his teaching, at the end of his teaching of the disciples. And then following that would be the Garden of Gethsemane and the arrest and his trial and then going to the cross. So he would be taken away from them. Um, they weren't there present. They, The disciples um, ran in fear. Um, when he was arrested in the garden. Now, there is evidence that they came back and saw part of the crucifixion. And then, of course, Peter, you know, saw part of the trial, mm -hmm. or at least it was in the area. So that was, he was going away. He was being taken away from him for the process of, from them rather, for the process of, of crucifixion. And then a little while, and you will see me. Three days later, he rose again from the dead, and they did see him. Um, shortly after that, and over that 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension, 
And then his ascension was him going to the Father, as Scripture says. He is now at the right hand of the Father in that place of authority, um, which is a blessing because he can speak for us, you know, in before the Father on Judgment Day. And because, as he said earlier, you know, in be. I need to go away, and when I go away, then the Comforter will come, the Holy Spirit, who will teach you all things and bring to remembrance the things that I have taught you. Yeah. So great storytelling, Dan. <laughs> you went through yeah. just to bullet point it. There's a little while they will see him no longer is when he mm-hmm. dies and is buried. So hidden in death, revealed in resurrection. Yes. But then he disappears in his resurrected body. He like appears in a dark in, in a uh, locked room and then disappears. He appears on the road to Emmaus and disappears. Mm-hmm. They keep seeing him off and on until the ascension yes. when they see him disappear into the clouds because he's departing clearly from this world to the to the father's presence. So it's Amen. crucifixion, resurrection, appearances, ascension. Yes. It's just the overall story of the 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 crux of the gospel centers on most people have heard Jesus died, he rose, mm-hmm. he ascended. And why do we keep re- repeating this story as if it, like it's it's new because this is the, we call it the good news, but I think we need to really understand what God was doing through these historical mm-hmm. events, these moments. And just to bring it back to this passage today, it's leading to joy. It's part of a greater narrative yes. where God was preparing them to be saved. God was saving them through sending his son to die on the cross for us. He's Amen. saving us from our sin. Uh, it says in Romans, let me see if I can pull up that passage. Romans 4.25, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, both the cross and the resurrection are necessary for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be declared righteous before God. Amen. So all of these historical facts that will happen in a little while from the perspective of the disciples will become clear, and then they'll rejoice. Jesus is alive. I like to smile and and, uh, make a big point of that when I preach the gospel. Jesus is no longer dead. He came back to life. And that's the missing piece that, you know, this humanist, naturalist, uh, secular culture that is um, so predominant today, that's what they're missing is, you know, everything that people are working for will be taken from them in death. But be Mm. of good cheer, Jesus overcomes our sin, the problem of death, even the devil and the problems in the world. So that's there's a good story. There's that's why it's the great news. <laughs> it is because it it ends well for those who trust in Christ. Yeah. In fact, it goes on to say that in the next couple of verses, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, "Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying in a little while you will not see me, and again in a little while you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice." Because, of course, the world, you know, called for the murder of Jesus because he showed them the truth of who they were. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned in, will turn into joy. And isn't yeah. that the truth? Yeah. I mean, we could, we can dwell on the, uh, the sad fact that for that moment that when Jesus was being condemned, as the crowds were calling for Jesus to be crucified, Satan thought that he was winning, you know, he was striking the heel of him who is a descendant of Eve, who God had promised millennia before that you will crush, you will uh, pierce his heel. But in that same verse, God predicted that Jesus will crush his head. And so what what killed Jesus, um, as far as the devil is concerned, would be Mm -hmm. the devil's own defeat. Yeah. Uh, now some people to... have you know said and I don't know what your feeling is on on this but I just think it's an interesting thing to think about did the devil really know that he was going to lose was mm. was he really expecting that this would defeat Jesus I mean I wouldn't split a church over it but I think that he may have actually thought that doing this that he had won mm. that he was rejoicing in this you know, because, I mean, it should have been obvious that God was going to win, that this was perfectly within his plan, 
Um, but no one lies to you as much as you lie to yourself. And <laughs> Satan is the father of lies. True. I think he was probably lying to himself and saying, wow, I think I might have actually won. Yeah. You know? I, no, I tend to agree with that. And, you know, the, yeah. the Bible clearly teaches that Satan is... Uh, is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's not. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not equal with God in omniscience. Uh, he he only. But he is a student of human nature, so he knows mm-hmm. he knows that very well. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you if you are the father of lies, there's there's probably some lies that he's believing. I mean, the whole whole lie he told that he thought he could be like God. He was mm-hmm. self-deceived right there. Yes, we are self-deceived, and I think we inherited that from him. <laughs> so, mm. just a not a necessity, but kind of an interesting side note. Yes, especially on verse twenty when it says "you're st- mm-hmm. uh, that the world will rejoice." It's a really dark moment. It's kind of the it really is the the darkest moment in the story. Just again, I have to keep tying it into like pop culture movies where it lo- there's like a protagonist <laughs> and it looks and he has to go through struggle and it looks like at some point it looks like all is lost and the enemy is is winning. But then the great victory comes in the end. And mm. at, it's at the moment of Amen. the cross, it looked like Jesus was losing. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? People were yes. cursing yes. at him and he was nailed up there. Come down from there if, if you are... If you're the son of God, they were rejoicing to see him being crucified. But Jesus saw it a different way. He Mm -hmm. knew that his victory was being won, even through what looked like foolishness and weakness to the world. Jesus becomes the overcomer, and that leads to great joy in the story when you see the hero win. And this is, but this is how it happened at great cost with a sacrifice Mm -hmm. of himself. Amen. So is there any other insights we can gain from the rest of this paragraph, John sixteen twenty one through 24, before we move on yes. to see the paragraph on Jesus overcoming the world? Yeah, I just wanted to touch really quickly on, on uh, verses 21 and 22, because I think there's such a, a powerful message there. It says, when a woman is giving birth... She has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, um, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take that joy from you. And I just think the analogy there is so amazing. The the analogy of pain in childbirth and then the joy when that new that new human being has been birthed and that connects so closely to what Jesus was doing Mm -hmm. and the result of it. And also to our relationship with God and the new birth and ultimately even to um, our day in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. Um, Because when Jesus was talking about that, there was something new that was about to be birthed. We're talking about the time when we go from the old covenant, the old agreement between God's people, Israel, and and their God, and the new covenant where not only is the nation of Israel, they have that special connection with God, but through Jesus Christ, every tribe, tongue, and nation can have that connection with Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. And it was as in childbirth, being birthed with pain and anguish. But Jesus knew, as a mother knows, that that pain and sacrifice is worth it because of the result that was going to come out of that. So, there's this new thing that God has planned and purposed, and when that comes to fruition, there's no one that's going to be able to take their, their joy away. And we see this later, too, because the disciples saw what happened through Jesus which was powerful in his resurrection. But there was also the message of of going to be with him one day and the new heavens and the new earth. So we see the disciples after the resurrection being willing to endure incredible pain and suffering and anguish for the sake of that greater thing, the the glory of God through Jesus Christ and the knowledge that through what they were doing, 
people would be restored and renewed and eventually the earth itself would be restored and renewed. Yeah. Something just amazing was going to happen. So I I just love the analogy there. It's so powerful, particularly for someone like you or me who have, you know, had kids, you know, (laughs) probably even more for our wives because they've (laughs) actually been through that anguish in a way that we could never understand. Uh But it's just a powerful analogy. Yeah. John says in one of his letters, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth and in obedience. And Amen. But it had to come Amen. through the, the anguish. It reminds me of uh, what we read back in John 12, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain mm-hmm. of wheat falls into the earth and dies, yes. it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And Jesus is that grain, is that seed that was that died and was buried, and when it rises, it's able to produce much fruit. Jesus produces fruit mm-hmm. of changed lives, of saved mm-hmm. lives, of the church being born, of us being born again, of uh, new, you know, his kingdom is, it's, it's organic, it's, it's life. It is, it is. Uh, reproducing, and so we become like Jesus, we become... Um, part of his family, and it's a mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing that he did. Yeah, I think we talked about that before. If I remember, Jesus says, you know that 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 seed falls to the ground and it grows, and it talks about Jesus as the the branch or as the uh, the, the root vine. and the vine, and us as branches that are grafted into that. So he is the source of life. He is the source of nourishment, and the fruit grows from him through us. Well said. We're about halfway through our hour. We should go to the second paragraph. Yes. We're going to see more of this overcoming here because I think it's a good title for this paragraph. I have overcome the world. But first... Thank you so much for listening to Dwell on Truth. If you've been blessed by this show and you are a believer and you'd like to share this blessing with others, there's a way that you can give to support the work of open-air campaigners here in Northern California. You could sign up to be a one-time or monthly partner at oacnorcal.org slash give. That's oacnorcal.org slash give to sign up to become a financial partner with Brenton Powers or Daniel Bodwin or a general gift to the NorCal General Fund that will help both of us continue to preach the gospel here on the airwaves, out on the streets and beaches in Northern California. So how does Jesus overcome the world? Let's read John chapter 16, verse 25 through 33, and then we'll talk about how Jesus overcomes the world. Amen. So John 16, 25 says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own house, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Wow, what a what an amazing blessing it is to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert, Jesus wins yeah. in the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, we need to hear that because it can it can it can feel pretty dark sometime. It can feel pretty hopeless sometime. And I'll tell you, things have not gotten better in the last few years. You know, things seem to be getting worse and we see wars and rumors of wars wars and uh uh, pandemics and other things, but you know, we we know who wins in the end, and God's plans will be carried out perfect perfectly. That's a such a such a blessing, such a comfort. 
Yeah, skeptics might ask, how has Jesus overcome the world every, since everything looks like it's getting worse? Is it really true that Jesus has overcome the world? I mean, I don't see Jesus ruling over the nations right now, but there's, there's a way in which he is in control. Um, and then there's a way in which we will see in the future him be recognized as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But it's a good question. How does Jesus overcome the world? I think there's certainly some keys in this paragraph there are. about that. There are. Starting with verse 25, um, that Jesus admits that he's been speaking these things in figures of speech. Jesus mm-hmm. did speak in parables as you read that passage earlier. Yeah, yeah. It's not obvious how the how the kingdom of heaven translates here on earth. Those parables are kingdom parables. They are. It's an invisible kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom because the way up is down. Mm-hmm. Um, the servant shall be the greatest. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus giving us this big picture of the heavenly kingdom, how it works, is, again, telling the great story that Jesus would— uh, I think it's best summarized in verse 28, actually. He mm. says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Mm-hmm. In the uh, circle storytelling method that I've been talking about, you can divide this circle of the whole story into two halves. Mm-hmm. The upper half is the familiar setting of where the hero or the protagonist comes from, and then he descends, he goes on a journey, and he descends into the, the lower half, into some like alternate world or reality. Um, and this is Jesus coming from heaven to earth, as he says. He was sent on a rescue mission. And then Jesus says the other half of the story, that, um, and now I am leaving this world and going to the Father. So the hero returns home, but having changed the world, and in a sense, he changed himself. Now, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The nature of God is immutable, unchanging. By nature, yeah. But there are certain things that did change. Yes. Um, For example, in the beginning, Jesus was called the Word. And the word became mm. flesh, mm. and they called him Jesus. That we didn't, we don't have the name Jesus in the Old Testament. No. We, uh, you know, so and then when he ascends, it says in Philippians two, that God gave him a name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that yes. he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in a sense, he came from glory. He humbled himself in humanity, and he returns mm. to glory. But I believe he returns to a greater glory, having accomplished the work of our salvation, because more people are now able to enter into this story of salvation, be, being Amen. saved and recognizing who he is. So yeah. that's kind of that story circle applied to it Jesus. It is. One of the, the amazing things, of course, is we see this in so many different uh, story arcs like that is the 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 man the hero who comes from humble beginnings and rises to greatness um the amazing thing of course with with jesus is that he started with greatness and willingly put himself into those into that humble state before returning to greatness and the the amazing humility that we see there that you know it's not like the the beggar that was you know wanting to become the king it was he was already the king and he became a beggar for our for our benefit for his glory as well for his father's glory as well but for our benefit what an amazing thing that is like you said it's that upside down kingdom it turns everything on its head you see the the beggar rising to a position of authority now that uh person that was already in that position of authority humbled himself for our sake, like it says in Philippians. Amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. And just to compare, there's some great cross-references. When Jesus says in verse 33, Mm -hmm. but take heart, I have overcome the world, in spite of the tribulation and the things, you know, the darkness that he says is going to be happening there, they will be scattered in verse 32, it says, um, they'll each go to his own home and leave him alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. And then the I think the darkest moment is when he's on the cross, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not only ha- has he been abandoned by the disciples, but the Father forsakes the Son for the first time in all of eternity. He had such a mm-hmm. unity with the Father. 
And I think the explanation is that that great gospel summary verse of God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the Father turned it like that hymn in Christ alone says, the Father turned his face away. Um, It's in Christ that our sins were punished. It's the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus as our our representative of of sin, our sacrifice, our sacrificial mm-hmm. lamb, the scapegoat, the all the all of these pictures just fully converging in Jesus's death when he was abandoned by the Father, so that we could be forgiven. Another song, he was forsaken, we that we could be forgiven, um, and so it's through this that Jesus actually overcomes the world, and so. Some cross-references, 2 Corinthians 2.14, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. And I don't think this triumph that he always leads us in is always evident that this is leading to triumph, but as the Bible says, God works all things out for the good of those who are the called, those who love him in Christ Jesus. So, we're not saying that we're not preaching the the uh, health, wealth, prosperity gospel that no, you know Joel Osteen not. preaches. That Jesus came not only to conquer your sin, but also your finances and your, you know, blah blah blah, about this world. But he's it's actually an eternal perspective, the heavenly perspective. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says in Ephesians one. Hmm. And uh, Romans 8.37, no, in all these things, and he's talking about persecutions and sufferings, even in all those difficult things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah. First John 4, I have like five more references. I'll just read them out. That's fine. First John 4.4, 4, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Revelation 12 11 says, and they conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even to death. Revelation 7, 14, and they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with them are called chosen and faithful. Uh, one more verse, uh, no, two more verses. First John 5, verse 4 and 5 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's what we're preaching. Yes. Amen and amen. All right, we have 10 more minutes. Um, We do. Should we dive into more of these verses? Yeah, we can wrap up the last the last few and then maybe just spend a little time on the gospel. Yeah. In verse 26 it says, in that day you will ask in my name and I do not say that I will ask the father on your behalf. He he mentioned asking earlier too and we kind of skipped over that. I'm sorry Dan, you had yeah. you did some good uh, research on that word ask. Yeah, yeah, well that actually goes back to to verse 23 although we're we're addressing it later as well. Um, and and I noticed in looking this up and listening to some commentaries in verse 23, it talks about ask that day you will ask nothing of me. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the father, ask of the father in my name, he will give to you. And yeah, that's important because we are talking about prayer there. But I also noticed that ask is used in two different ways. There's actually two different Greek words hmm. that are used there. The first one, when it says in that day, you will ask nothing of me. That doesn't mean they're not asking him for anything, but that Greek word, and I wish I could remember it. I don't off the top of my head and I'd pronounce it wrong anyway, but (laughs) in that contest is talking about asking him as in asking him for information, asking him for clarity. And after the other stuff we've said where he's speaking in parables and he's speaking in unclear ways for a specific purpose, he's saying, we're coming to the day when all of those questions that you had will be answered. They will be clarified. And then he goes on to the other kind of asking, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, 
he will give it to you. In that case, the ask is talking about um, not asking for information, but a request, a petition, mm. you know, asking for something from God. And that's, that is a good, if we're going to talk about prayer, that is a good starting point. We ask of the Father in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, when we come to him with our petitions, mm-hmm. we can, and it is because of Jesus, who he is and what he did, that we have that right and privilege to come to God directly. I mean, they didn't have that in the Old Testament. You had to go through the priest, you had to go through the temple ceremonies, you had to go through sacrifices. You know, that was kind of the the, the proper way to do it. And only, you know, only a few people were able to make that direct intercession. Um, and now we are able to go into the throne room of God, you know, to speak mm-hmm. to him. And we see that the other cross reference is that the temple um, curtain being torn. And I can't remember the, the, the verse reference off the top of my head, but at the time of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, um, that there was a, a veil in the temple that was a giant curtain that separated the holy place where the priests went from what they called the Holy of Holies, which was the most holy place within the temple. That's where the Ark of the Covenant resided and where the priests would only go once a year to sprinkle blood on the what they called the mercy seat. That's an interesting name. That was the part on the top. And that was where man met God in a direct way. Mm-hmm. And now our mercy seat is Jesus Christ. So we can go directly to God by the mercy he grants us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Yeah, that's great. And the the references for the the veil being torn in two are mm-hmm. are in Matthew 27, Mark chapter 15, Luke chapter 13. Um mm-hmm. and it was torn from top to bottom indicating yes. that God provided the way yeah. into his holy presence. And this wasn't just a piece of cloth. This was a big old thick thing that, you know, somebody couldn't have just gone up. You could not physically grab it and tear it. Yeah, it was interesting. by yourself. Yes, it was was a heavy-duty thing. Interesting stuff. Yeah, it makes me think of Hebrews 4.16. Let us, maybe you've already quoted this. Let us then come with confidence and draw near to the throne of grace that we Mm -hmm. may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So that's cool. The word ask can mean to pray for something, to ask for something, or the other Greek word to ask a question, and then the answers to Mm -hmm. those questions will be answered. One day we will know fully even as we are fully known. Amen. Um, But we got to keep growing as disciples and learning the the plan and the the overall story that God is, what is he accomplishing in the world today? And the, the good news is that Jesus is overcoming the world in spite of the the fact that Satan is still appears to be the god of this age, God is working it all out so that um, those who are willing to turn to Him from sin can be set free from the power of Satan and the the curse of sin and the the penalty of death and judgment in hell forever. Mm. And He's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven that where He is, we may be also. Uh, through faith in him, we enter into that victory, overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil. But it's a daily struggle for us to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, to learn to walk by faith and not by sight, to learn really um, who Jesus is and how he can be trusted and what he's doing in our lives as we grow as disciples, yeah. this is it's important to study the Bible, as we talked about in the beginning of the program, to spend time in prayer, to be in fellowship. And you really can learn a lot from other more mature Christians. So I'd encourage you, if, you, if you're a new believer that has not yet been discipled intentionally, you know, mentored by an older believer, seek out some wise Christian man, if you're a man or an older Christian woman, and uh, that's one of the ways that God gives you the wisdom to draw near to God. Um, so, we have a couple more minutes to conclude. I have a couple more verses to read. Um, Go for it. So, just looking forward to the end of the story, in Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, 
will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there's a sense in which we are saved from the um, from the, the standing in sin, but there's a sense in which we still have a future salvation, the redemption of our bodies, Romans 8, yes. 23. Uh, not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption mm-hmm. of our bodies, 2 Corinthians 5, 2, and 4. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, For while we are still in this tent of our bodies, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed or unembodied, but that we Mm. would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So folks, Jesus is risen from the grave. That should produce joy for us who believe because there is victory and we will rise from the grave. And uh, those who are in rebellion against God, you're going to rise from the grave too. In judgment, God will unfortunately have to sentence you to hell unless you uh, enter into the victory of Christ and then you'll be raised to a resurrection of life, eternal life. There's nothing more important than your eternal salvation. So repent and believe the gospel, this great story that we've been telling you. And uh, thank you for listening. And I hope that these words have changed your life. If you have been changed, if you've been impacted by this radio show, Please reach out to us and and let us know. We want to hear what God's been doing in your life and uh, what is the good fruit that's coming from you spending time in His Word. Amen. And if you have any questions, if there's something that wasn't clear or confusing, or if there's other questions that you have regarding who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what it means to come to know Him in truth, we would love to talk to you about that. How can people get a hold of us, Dan? Yeah, they can reach out to us at a number of different ways. You can reach us, of course, on our website, oacnorcal.org. You can also reach us on, uh, um, those are probably the best ways. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got OAC NorCal. We've got a page. We've got a a group on there, and both of us are individually on there. All of that just to say, we want to help you and we'll help you as much as we can and we'll help you one of the best ways is to get connected with a good local bible believing church Um, we're happy to recommend one to you and so reach out if you're having if you're having struggles let us help you let us pray for you let us um walk with you on this journey Yes, and for those asking, well, what are your names so I can find you on Facebook? Yeah. You could see through the OAC NorCal uh, yes. or Dwell on Truth pages, but I am Brenton yes. Powers. And I'm Dan Bodwin. So thanks for joining us and continue to dwell on truth. Amen. God bless. Thank you so much for listening to Dwell on Truth. If you've been blessed by this show and you are a believer and you'd like to share this blessing with others, There's a way that you can give to support the work of open-air campaigners here in Northern California. If you'd like to share in the joy, blessing, and reward of seeing souls saved, you could sign up to be a one-time or monthly partner at oacnorcal.org slash give. That's oacnorcal.org slash give to sign up to become a financial partner with Brenton Powers or Daniel Bodwin or a general gift to the NorCal General Fund that will help both of us to continue to preach the gospel here on the airwaves, out on the streets and beaches in Northern California. If you'd like to find out more about partnering with Daniel Bodwin or Brenton Powers, please contact us via email at oacnorcal at gmail.com. That's oacnorcal at gmail.com. Our mission is to present Christ by all means everywhere through open-air preaching, guest speaking, and mobilizing the church locally to reach out to their communities. Get in touch with us if you'd like to find out more. Once again, our email is oacnorcal at gmail.com. oacnorcal at gmail.com. Dan and I look forward to hearing from you and getting in touch with you. So thanks for joining us and continue to dwell on truth. Amen. God bless.